0: Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me and my guests i'm at metal mary z on instagram don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on apple podcasts and of course follow me on youtube at voice hacks by mary z let's get into it hey everyone welcome back to the voice hacks podcast today is a special bonus episode in between My usual bi-weekly episodes. And I decided to start doing episodes where I'm just talking. I've done this once before. um, But actually most podcasts are like this. They're just one person talking about a subject. They're not always... People talking to each other or interviewing people. I don't want to do too much of them, but I'd like to start including them as bonus episodes. So today's bonus episode you are joining me for is really cool because we're going to talk about vocal ranges. And I'm going to be making the case, a a treatise, if you will, uh, for my take on dividing up vocal ranges for modern singers. Modern singers, non classical singers the same larynx (laughs) but just singing rock metal modern music etc and why I really truly believe it's a great and effective way to divide it up Um, and why it might be helpful to you as a singer and sort of encouraging not discouraging I'm always here to encourage not discourage and also make you guys feel a little bit more liberated and not limited. Before we get to this podcast on vocal ranges, um, I wanted to update you guys a little bit too on what I have going on. There are so many platforms nowadays and really I just can't keep up with all of them. This year, I'm going to be able to, um, you know, I'm actually more of a private person. So life wise, I don't put a lot out there about what's going on for me behind the scenes. But it's been kind of a crazy couple of years for me personally. And actually, I'm coming to a point now where everything is starting to get to a a more settled area where I can really dive into the content that I'm making and I want to stay tightly focused um I'm there's so many platforms out there but I can't do them all and I realized I can't grow an audience on them all so where you guys want to pay the most attention to me of course this year is going to be YouTube of course youtube.com forward slash voice hacks by Mary Z. And also Instagram is my secondary main focus. My Instagram stories, it's at metal Mary Z, have a lot of um, tips, a, a lot of things about what I'm doing every day, what's coming up next, countdowns to when things are releasing. You know, this, this is uh, where you want to follow me, YouTube and Instagram. I do have tiktok twitter facebook but these are all secondary to me and will always receive sort of like the second focus uh and i'm gonna be really tightly streamlined i actually have a twitch but i can already stream live on youtube so i kind of want to just stay tightly focused to my youtube audience over there and join you guys over there on a regular basis the reason that i'm bringing this up is because you know there's also sites that i don't use that i could use like a patreon and I don't know if you guys realize YouTube ad revenue doesn't really pay us very well. Um, pretty much also podcast ad revenue. It's just it's very, very small amount of money. And if you really want to support us, there are other ways. And so instead of having a Patreon, again, in the spirit of me keeping everything really, really hyper focused, is I've launched a premium YouTube subscription option. It's really called a YouTube membership is how they put it. And I'm gonna develop that into a very cool, robust thing for you guys instead of a Patreon or something. I just wanna keep it all one platform, pretty tightly streamlined so you guys know exactly where to find me and where to find the information. What's going to be in the YouTube Premium Membership? Well, already I have 28 videos up there that I essentially unlocked just for you guys. Um, a lot of them were just old videos that I took off the channel, but some of them are like missing tutorials from these playlists. And now I've opened them up to members only. Um, so check that out because there's some vocal tutorials in there that were missing for years for my channel. Uh, also, I've put up some interviews and things like that that I had taken down a long time ago if you want to check those out but that's just to start so for example today you'll find that if you're one of my YouTube members you have access to this podcast a day early a day before it goes live on the regular podcast streams and I'm going to do even more things like that and it's only one tier and it's very cheap, it's $3.99, and whenever you're on my YouTube channel, you just click join underneath one of my videos or on the main channel page, Um, and that's really it. And uh, you'll see the members only content on there and the members only playlists, and um, I think you guys will like it. So we'll be having lots of more members only live streams over there and all kinds of things, tutorials, special tutorials for you guys. Um, So yeah, that's where we're at today. So let's get started on this podcast. This podcast episode was inspired by the video that I have out, like that, that is talking about low female voices. Are you a contralto or are you a mezzo? In the vocal community, there is so much, I don't know how to explain it, but emotion around the idea and concepts of vocal ranges. And I'd like to begin today by saying, okay, whether you're an experienced vocalist, or even had a few lessons, or if you're a super experienced, knowledgeable vocal coach pedagogue, I want you to stick with me in the spirit of an open mind. In the 20 years that I've been teaching, and yes, I want to make that really clear today as well, it's kind of hard to find my age anywhere on the internet. And for the longest time, I was really, really happy about that. And today I have decided I'm, it's not actually working in my favor. I want you guys to know I turned 40 this year, so I've been teaching for 20 years and I finished my degree almost 20 years ago. <laughs> so I just want you to realize that next year will be 20 years since I have graduated college on these subjects and I have studied them intensely ever since. And, uh, I base many of my findings off treating like my vocal clients as a case study. I've only really been keeping track of the number of clients in the last four years since I've had a booking website, but I'm already up to 800 people, you know, at least like a couple hundred people a year in those last four years. So I can't even remember everyone I've taught over the last 20 years. And it's hundreds, probably thousands of people at this point. So I really have to say that that the conclusions I'm bringing here to you guys do not need to be what you ultimately believe permanently, but they are based on a very fair amount of observation and case study, I would say, Uh, uh, coupled with, you know, all the education that you need as a vocal instructor. In the vocal community at large, from classical singing all the way to extreme screaming, the big panic everyone has when they're Confronted, And I say confronted, but I don't think most vocal ideas are very confrontational, but people's reaction to them is like they've just been confronted. Uh, and I'd like you all to come with me with an open mind today. And just remember that most vocal ideas can be different without hurting someone. And that is something I've observed many times over the years. There's some wonderful vocal programs out there that have a completely different idea of how to produce the clean singing or think of it or conceptualize it, or even some of the distortion singing that are not necessarily unsafe. Okay. And, We have to realize that there has never been a council of Nicaea, if you will, on vocal stuff. We've never gotten all the vocal programs in the world to get there and sat down and said, you know, we're going to agree on a universalized set of terminology and agreements on all these ways to look at it. Because realistically, there's a lot of things we don't know about the wiring of the neurological control to the voice. We know a lot more than we used to. But there's still a lot to be learned and there are many things that work equally well, many approaches that can work equally well. So when you're looking at vocal stuff, what's been, what really prompted me to make this podcast was like the shocking and almost angry reactions people will give to me talking about something like a vocal range, simply because it differs from a previous idea maybe they've encountered. One thing where I encountered people being very defensive was where they were like, well, my teacher who's been, they've been teaching for 22 years and and they told me that I was this and, and how can that be true if this is true? So they may just have a different way of thinking about it and that's actually okay. Two things can be true at the same time. You're just gonna have to decide which one you wanna call yourself. It. You could be a mezzo by someone's view of how they classify vocals and be a contralto by the way that I classify vocals. However, I am trying to give you guys a guidepost in here of what I think has worked very consistently in modern music for all of the people that I've taught, regardless of vocal range, and give you a program that, if you choose... You will find a lot of clarity by following this approach to vocal ranges. So I will say there's a lot of differing ideas out there, and it's okay to explore them. But at the end of the day, you probably want to decide on one just for mental clarity. I don't think you can meld them all together. I think you need to have like a system that works for you. Um, And if that, just keep in mind that if that is not my system that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. We don't have to freak out and panic. One of the things I'm trying to do and actively discouraged by both the way that I conduct myself online in regard to other vocal teachers and colleagues, and both the way that I teach is not freaking out on people when their vocal idea is different from mine. There are some things out there that are just blatantly incorrect, you know, ways the anatomy works and things like that, that people sometimes get wrong. Uh, But for the most part, if it's an effective kind of way of looking and they're an experienced vocal coach leaving a nasty comment and and sort of freaking out on them because it's a little bit different than what maybe you were taught by a different teacher or maybe what you studied in college or what has worked for you as a teacher. Whatever your approach is while you're listening to this podcast, just realize that's okay. It's okay for you not to agree with an idea that's presented to you (laughs) and to not have an absolutely over-the-top, you know, angry reaction to it. And I think this will create a lot more community and openness and talking amongst each other in the vocal community. I really want to encourage all of you listening to walk away from those type of behaviors. And if you disagree with an idea, just find another idea that you agree with. It doesn't necessarily mean that that vocal coach is out there hurting other people and that is going to Cause tragedies and you don't have to start panicking like most of you guys start panicking being like oh this is this idea is different from what I was told and now my whole world is upside down absolutely it is not you can stick with that idea you were told if it's working for you and it's so strange that I have to say this but I feel like now a lot of you guys are going to go into this podcast and breathe a little easier come along for the ride with me and at the end if you want to reject it all reject it all But realize it's not like an injurious thing if you think of it differently. This is not extreme vocal talk today. This is mostly clean vocals, okay? So let's begin. So, we're gonna talk about modern singing. So, in classical singing, there is a method of classifying voices, although I would say over there it's probably not standardized either. not everybody's using this system when they're teaching. So already in one genre, we see different approaches that could be equally correct and valid. One approach is classifying people's vocal ranges based on color and range. Why do we even have vocal ranges at all? And this has to do with physics of sound. So I think one thing that has to be mentioned in this conversation, is that sound physics and string physics uh, have absolute rules in this universe, and we cannot overcome them, especially when it comes to our physical body. There are always slight exceptions, um, but they still fall within a range of physical possibility, and there has to be a physiology to allow for that exception to occur. And in singing, we're talking about the length And three-dimensional density, like essentially the width or the fatness of your cords, vocal cords and vocal folds are the same thing, by the way, everybody. And I will use them interchangeably. They mean the same thing. Your vocal cords, what we sing with, the part that we don't want to hurt. And we vibrate these strings. They're essentially strings, but more wider strings like um, a piece of linguine or certain tendons, I think. Uh, But they're even a little bit different than that. But just to kind of generalize it and give you a picture for your mind. And we vibrate these strings with air. And these strings are amazing. They automatically lengthen and shorten to the exact amount of three-dimensional width and length you're going to need to hit the notes that you're singing. It's pretty fascinating. It'd be like if you had to play this with conscious thought... And match pitches with conscious thought, it'd probably be the most complicated fretless stringed instrument in the world, okay? And we play it with ease through the way that it's wired with our abstract thought. We we just match notes automatically. However, the strings inside of my trachea, the vocal cords, are way different than the strings in other people's tracheas. I would say, though, that in my experience of all these people that I've taught, most people's strings are within certain subsets of ranges and I actually don't find a lot of exceptions to that most human beings fit the norm not the exception this is the other thing I get is but 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 Dimash has a six octave range or whatever yes he does and he's one person out of billions of people (laughs) in the world and he's a very very famous person And um, I've taught a lot of people and I will take them as far as they can go and that is not typically the case. His vocal cords are physically longer than other human beings and his have been measured. And so that's what's allowing him to have such an extreme vocal range coupled with training to be able to even discover he could sing that far. Okay. I do not have a six octave Dimash vocal range, and neither do you, probably. Most of you probably never will, and that's very unlikely. And it's not to be discouraging, it's the same reason that most people aren't seven feet tall, okay? <laughs> it's just, there is an average that most human beings, while there is a variety within the average, most people do fit in with that broader circle of average. Uh, average human ranges you know and yes there will always be a physiological exception to any sort of body part or type and yes we can be very jealous of all those people (laughs) but unfortunately the idea that you can extend your vocal range indefinitely is not true your strings I mean think back to those of you who don't have as much experience with stringed instruments or string physics Uh, The the length and the width width of your guitar strings or bass strings are going to be a lot different. And and the amount of notes that you can play and what those are are going to be different. So that's why a bass guitar is much longer than a regular guitar and why the strings will have to vary in different levels of thickness across there. And it represents a different pitch range across those strings and slightly different timbres than a regular size guitar. Your vocal cords or vocal folds are no exception. It will be the adult length and width, which, you know, changes from childhood to adulthood and changes differently, whether we're male or female. And um, after we go through puberty and we get to be an adult, that's going to be where your voice, your length and width are determined at that point. They're finite. It is like a muscle they do have a finite maximum range of motion, but just like my legs or something, I probably don't have access to that maximum range of motion, even though I'm capable of it, until I start doing a flexibility class or a yoga class, and then I would see a dramatic improvement in my range of motion, but eventually I would kind of hit a limit. Not everybody can be a contortionist, even though there are exceptions, right? And same thing with the vocal ranges. At when you first start, our speaking range is such a small amount of notes, maybe five or six notes worth of range. Generally, we don't speak in a very wide pitch range. So when we first learn to sing, it really feels like our range is expanding and expanding. And it may feel that way for years, but you will get to a point where it, no matter how hard you practice, it won't expand any further. By the way, everybody, I want to go back to that term I used early, timbre, because we're going to be using that a lot. Timbre is a term, and I realize a lot of my folks listening, a lot of my students are international, and English is the second language, and so that word sounds to you like I'm saying T-A-M-B-O-R or something like that, but I am not. It's spelled T-A-M, I'm sorry, (laughs) it's spelled T-I-M-B-R-E, it almost looks like timbre or something, timbre, (laughs) but do not pronounce it like that N- not only will nobody understand what you're talking about but also we specifically pronounce it timbre in american english to dis- 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 specifically distinguish it and differentiate differentiate it from the other english word that is spelled timber which is lumber uh and wood t i m b e r which is more much more phonetically Uh, spelled so when we're talking about timbre timbre what's timbre it's the tone of the instrument not the notes so realize like the tone of someone's voice the tone of the instrument many instruments and voices can be playing the same note or singing the same note in the same octave in the same part of the vocal range and they sound very different how do you know the difference between Uh, If they were all singing the same song, Celine Dion, Kelly Clarkson, and Ann Wilson, those are three sopranos in the same pitch vocal range, and you would probably be able to tell me who each one of them was, even them all singing the same song in the same key on the same note. That's timbre, the color of their voice. And this, in the classical world, going back to what I was saying earlier, they use a German method of classification, or at least one approach is, and it's called the Fach- Yes, that's the word. F-A-C-H system, Fox system. And um, you can look it up and find out all the fun stuff you want to about that. And it's a system of classifying voice type by pitch range and color and timbre. To me, I... Do I appreciate the Fox system in one way because it helped me understand keys and ranges at first as a person with what I would call a contralto voice in both modern music and classical singing. If you couldn't already tell by how low it is where I'm speaking. But um, and that was very liberating to me to realize, oh, I'm, I'm not a soprano. I'm a contralto. And that explains so, so much about what I should be singing and where I should be singing and made things so much less frustrating for me. But now that I do modern singing, I feel like the Fox system is a little bit overly complicated for, for most divisions, even classical. Um, and I would more straightforwardly just divide people on. Range and not so much on color of the voice. Because our passaggio breaks, if you will, where our voice kind of breaks and shifts uh, where we, the different muscle groups that we use to produce the sounds, or um, and especially in modern music, we're going to get into the breaks and stuff. Um, it doesn't change where that break is because your voice is a little brighter or a little darker, unfortunately. If you have a soprano voice, even if it's a little darker tone, which is kind of... Uh, I've always thought maybe Whitney Houston was a dramatic soprano. We call that a dramatic voice when it's dark. I think Taria Tarunin has a pretty dark soprano voice. Um, I don't know if it, it it's quite what we'd call dramatic, but I think it's pretty dramatic. It's pretty dark uh, for a high voice. And if we were to tell Taria, okay, well, as a dramatic soprano, you can sing all this contralto repertoire, it would feel very uncomfortable for her and the tones would never really sit right because sh- even though she has a dark timbre, the note range of her voice, you know, relative to the pieces, a lot of our ranges overlap. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. Um, it just wouldn't feel right to her, and the sounds would never be right, and it would be a bit of a frustrating experience. And so I've seen this before, where people calling themselves a, dr- a dramatic soprano or singing contralto repertoire in the key of a contralto, and I'm like, well, really, they're just a contralto, right? <laughs> Unless they can hit some high notes that I'm not aware of. So I kind of feel like calling ourselves just anything it might be fun, <laughs> but it doesn't really help people that much, um, to use timbre because no matter what your color is if it's bright or dark in your voice your tone it's not going to change where those breaks are for you based on your overall pitch range your overall pitch range is going to be where it is and the breaks are going to be where they are and that's based on the length and three-dimensional density of your vocal cords and what pitches those particular strings will be able to sing so let's get further into it so when we're in this we're going to divide uh i am going to divide this by gender and um again i've had lots of trans folks as clients and we just wait till they're transitioned quite a ways and feel like the vocal changes are done and, and again look at the look at it the same way so um you know if you have a female voice uh then we're going to divide you into four different ranges, right? So we're going to look at contralto, which is going to be the lowest, mezzo, which is going to be medium low. And it's also called mezzo soprano. Also, you, you when you guys see it, it's written as mezzo, but it's like pizza. This is the way you pronounce it in Italian, mezzo. So just realize that's what it is, mezzo. It's called mezzo soprano sometimes. Really, that just means medium soprano. Um, but that is not literally a good way to think of it so i would just think of it as medium low actually not medium high and then i would think of it as um soprano would be our regular high voice and coloratura soprano would be in our extremely high voice for male vocalists same thing bass will be our extremely low baritone medium low tenor regular high voice and counter tenor. We're going to look at it as an extremely high voice. So this is important to know because then you will have a good guide. I'm going to go through and kind of give some note guides as to where these ranges typically start and end for most people. And It may take you years, though. If you're first listening to this, you're likely going to get to your maximum low note first. Most of the time when I'm training people, I can actually get them to sing what is their physically furthest lowest note on the first day. For some reason, it doesn't take as much training. It does take my guidance a little bit if they've never done it, but um, then when you get to your physically lowest note, you can guess, not guess, but you can use my guide and kind of get a guess gauge for how high you should be able to train to if you end up being an exception like a Mike Patton or a Dimash and have a very wide range then awesome I've never stopped anyone ever from going as far as they can go but I'm telling you that most of the time I physically just can't get most human beings to go as far as these exceptional people and again it all comes back to physics um, someone could also be like an accountant and have a larynx that's capable of singing six dox- six octaves and never know it. You know, you have to train and go to the limits to even find that out, you know. But realistically, guys, I would say hundreds of people that I've taught Anna, and th- most people are the norm, not the exception. And this is not to be discouraging. It's to be encouraging. So you're not looking at the exception and wondering what's wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, and it can take years, though, still to get out to the edge of what's the normal max capacity. So it's still not easy to max out your vocal capacity. So in in modern singing, um, we are subject specifically to the belt break. So this is a thing. There are passaggio and register breaks in classical singing, but in general, my epiglottis and the way I'm producing the sound Uh, from the lowest note to the highest note is going to stay in the same, a very similar physical position. Yes, yes, pedagogues and voice teachers, there are some things that change, but not as dramatically as if I would say from classical to belting, which there is a very dramatic change in how I'm producing that sound as far as how my larynx is doing it. As the user, you can't actually feel any of that as the vocalist. Um, In your mind, they just seem like different singing styles, but many of the parts in our larynx that we use to produce the sounds, including your vocal cords, are numb to the touch. So there's that. So you're going to rely a lot on sound change, you know, when you're talking about the different styles of singing uh, versus how it feels sometimes. But... For example, if I'm singing classical, and I start down here. She, 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 ah, she. So you can see that as I slide through the range, it's not changing like the style of voice and I'm not like flipping. Whereas as if I'm using what most people, although again, all, a lot of vocal terms use a lot of different uh, terminology. There is no standard. A lot of what people call chest voice, A, that sounds very different from when I was she, okay. And this tone of voice are chest voice, what a lot of people call chest voice, eh, eh, this has a hard limit in modern singing. And it does not matter whether you are male or female. The limit is the same as far as the way that it works and why it's there. So there isn't, it isn't like women with high voices aren't subjected to this limit. They absolutely are. Everything's just transposed relative to the person. Okay. So, um, I prefer to not use the terms chest and head voice. I'm going to kind of use them to help you guys understand and kind of use some generalized vocal terms to translate into my world and my way of thinking of it. But I prefer to call our modern, if you will, non-head voice, non-classical, non-falsetto way of singing. So not this. She, ha, he, None of that. Uh, or male falsetto none of this. Our regular belting voice, a.k.a. what may get called chest voice by some programs. Nay, I want to think of that as our belting voice. And I don't like to call it chest voice because even for a low-voiced person, a bass or a baritone, Any notes that you can belt above middle C, which for those people isn't a whole lot, but it's enough that they're not going to resonate in the chest. I actually feel like most people start losing the chest resonance around the A below middle C, a little bit before middle C. So for those of you who don't understand the piano or maybe new to vocal ranges, we're basing it off of the scales on the piano from right to left, from low to high. And where are ranges sit are based on where they start on the piano and that will determine how low it is or how high it is and we divide the piano up into this thing called octaves which are scales of eight notes like this that's why it's called an octave so that's the middle c octave we call that and that was a series of eight notes and the letters reset every eight notes Okay. And so that's the next octave. And if I go below its octave. So the one in the middle here, we call middle C, which is numbered usually C4. And so when you guys are looking at these nerdy uh, vocal range tutorial videos, or like how wide is someone's range, you know, on YouTube, um, and they're going through and they're showing songs and they're showing like D1, D2, whatever, that is based on these notes, you know, when we regard middle C as C4. So that tells you from the dead center of the piano, ni, how far, high or low those notes are, how many octaves away they are. This is called the fourth octave, uh, middle C, C4. And also everybody, the, the numbers start at C. They don't start at A. I know that doesn't make sense from an alphabet perspective because we have A, B, C, D, E, F, G in music. But when you look at the piano, it looks a lot neater to start them at C. because C is the note that like visibly starts off the scale. So the number always changes at C. So when we talk about A3, that's two notes below middle C. That's not A4. A4 is the one above it. Okay. So you always change the note name at C. And notice when you open some MIDI programs, they label middle C, C3, garage band especially. So if we go through this, this, uh, podcast and you go open garage band to test out your range or whatever and you see see c3 uh, that's actually middle c in garage band in pro tools they give you the choice to label it c3 or c4 on the midi in almost all traditional music training it's c4 so i don't know why these programs give you that choice but be aware that sometimes when you open certain midi things they're calling middle c c3 and in that case you need to kind of change everything but mostly almost always when you see range stuff people are referring to it as c4 okay and that's how we're going to refer to it today so most people that i have taught have a maximum physical range that i can get them to that typically spans three to three and a half octaves some of the higher voices it's only three octaves um then that's total i mean no breaks i mean all of your range from the lowest note you can possibly sing to the highest note you can possibly sing Clean singing, no whistle harmonics or extraneous phonations. I'm talking about singing notes you can make with your vocal cords without having to make any other weird sounds to achieve them. Okay? So no subharmonics, no super harmonics. Three to three and a half total octaves. That being said again, where those octaves start and end on the piano will dramatically determine where you're comfortable singing, right? And not every song is written in the octaves where your octaves are. So if a song is written up here, maybe that's uncomfortable for someone who has a lower voice and they'd rather sing it down here. Okay, so these are repeats of the same notes and they move up and down the piano and that's why we can move the key of a song. And Those of you who are more experienced are a little bit more familiar with this, but I think it's still liberating to know that you don't have to constantly try to reach for some note that's unreachable. And within that three octaves range, um, the belt range or what some people call the chest voice, we're going to have a limit, a hard limit, usually at two to two and a half octaves. Again, real high voices, it'll probably be two octaves. Medium and low voices, we're looking usually at two and a half octave max belt limit. And so when we hear a soprano using a powerful belt tone on a very high note, it's because they're a soprano. (laughs) And that note is still within their relative belt range. For them, it's it's still relatively high, but it might be impossible for someone else. But it's not like they also get the low notes of a contralto and the high notes. It's always transposed up. So let's go through the ranges, starting with the male vocals. So to give you an idea, and that and that belt break, that belt limit, so it has to do with what your epiglottis is doing. It can't hold it past two to two and a half octaves. That's why it's a subset of your total range. And that is exactly why in modern music we need to change the key. When there's no belt break and you're just doing classical singing, or you're doing just mixed voice singing, look at this stuff, isn't it neat? You can be actually a lot more flexible. A lot of our ranges overlap a great deal. And so when there's no belt break, it's much easier, actually, for people with varying vocal ranges to sing in the same key. Uh, Still a little bit tough if they're far enough apart, but you'd be surprised how many soprano things I could get away with singing in my non belt tone, if it's not too high of a key. Okay. And so the belt r- break specifically is why we're having this podcast and why it's so important to know your ranges, because that is going to mess you up a lot in modern singing. I keep it simple in my coaching to match more of what's happening anatomically and to keep concepts clearer to users so that they can learn faster, sing more the way that they want to sooner, and don't overcomplicate things. I think sometimes coaches start overcomplicating vocal concepts unnecessarily to make it seem uh, more esoteric or may even make themselves seem a little bit more knowledgeable. I know, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I've seen all kinds of things, you know. And I think the best policy is to have it be simple and clear. I don't want to think of these things as like a mix of this and a high mix of that and a low mix of this and like three hundred different mixing of things. That's not even what's happening anatomically. So you need to have a clearer vision. And I divide singing into three categories. Belting, which I also call like a forward placement, which if you want to think of it as chest voice, our normal, regular rock singing, non, non-head non voice, non falsetto singing. So that's one category. Belting, mixing, and classical, which I re- also refer to as vertical. And that's it. And I think that really really helps and it it helps simplify things because at the end of the day you want to sing you don't want to think about like really weird awkward you know half mix this and that um it's just not even what's happening anatomically and so come along with me here I've actually had some great videos on the channel on the three different t- tones. View it as one is a chest voice tone, two are head voice tones, okay? One is your non-operatic head voice tone. Again, I really hate terms like chest and head voice, but I know that you guys have had those thrown at you, and I think that helps you a lot. So, b- vocal ranges, let's go through it, starting from bass. So, if we're a bass, the only vocal ranges where the low end c- tends to be the same is ba- bass and baritone. And this is because bass and baritone both have similar length vocal cords, but differing three-dimensional density, width and density. And the baritone can usually actually sing as long uh, or as low as a bass, but they can sing much higher usually. Um, So that is one exception where some of the physics kind of overlaps. And that would be the difference between a bass and a baritone and in that case the tone color of the person would kind of reveal that but also you would get to the top of the range and there would be a very limiting two octave i find basses have a really hard two octave belt range that can't really go above middle c and baritones because their chords are a little bit thinner we can go up a little bit further um so let's bass and baritone typically max low is c2 d2 here. Okay, I can't sing that. <laughs> um Occasionally, I've had someone get to the B1. Very rare. Yes, there are exceptions. Guys, I'm saying this a lot. Yes, there are exceptions. Yes, there are exceptions. There's a guy on the Guinness Book who can go lower. That's not going to be you. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys, but I want everybody to start thinking about normal voices and not exceptional voices. If I had observed over 20 years that, wow, all these people have like wildly exceptional voices and I can really take them down as far as they want to go. I wouldn't be making this, but that's not how physics works. OK, and so then based on if they're singing down to these notes, then their belt register for like a baritone is usually two octaves above there, which is about middle C that'd be the max you could probably train to. And a baritone, you can go actually probably all the way up to A4, from D2 to A4. Um, however, I there is a small subset of baritones because baritone is a very specific set of vocal cords where they hit this sort of jackpot between length and width. And if you are gonna have a wider vocal range, it would probably be a baritone person. And and actually, I think Devin Townsend is one of these people who has a a four octave singing range. Um, Guys, I'm not counting his fry whistle phonations, which I know do go farther. I'm talking about his singing voice. And I would actually call him a wide range baritone. So you can sing as low as the baritones but um, belt as high as tenors, and this can happen. Those exceptional people have about a four octave range and like a three octave belt range. So there may be a small subset of you baritones that have a, an exceptionally wide range, but it's still not a five or six octave. Even that small subset is pretty rare. I call those wide range baritones. But regular baritones, it's a two and a half octave belt range from here to here. And again, you'll probably be able to get to your low notes on the first day and you'll have to train to belt those high notes. They're not going to come right away, even though you're physically capable of. I'm highlighting what is your potential max. So then say if you're a baritone and you're going to try to sing Alice in Chains in which he's a tenor and he's belting much higher, uh, well, not much higher than A4, but high enough like he does a lot of A sharps and Bs and that would be totally unrealistic you never want to sing notes like a whole step within the edge of the range all the time I mean, that's crazy that's for the person with the next voice range higher that's for a tenor vocalist and you as the baritone would lower the key of the Alice in Chains to put that in the same relative location to you to where it's medium high for you uh, and not out of range for you okay this is where we're getting into now why do we need to know the key and that's why why do we need to know our range is so that you when you belt songs you stay aware of what the notes are always check the notes on a piano or have a vocal teacher or someone help you find out what notes the people that you're listening to are singing the color of their voice whether it's bright or dark will deceive you if they have grit on it it's going to seem lower even if it's an incredibly high voice and without perfect pitch which means knowing the note name as you hear it when someone goes what's this note you tell me that it's an A which only 1 in 10,000 people have that. That's not most of us, so most of us are going to be deceived by relative tone and timbre when we listen to people casually. And you might think, oh this guy's a low voice and I am just no matter how much I try, I'm not hitting these notes, but actually when I go to the piano, that is way higher key and it's the timbre of the guy's voice that's deceiving me. It's actually really high. Maybe you shouldn't have been singing up there at all we should have lowered the key from the beginning it wasn't a song meant for you to begin with so realize check the notes don't let yourself be deceived and move that key now tenors tenor and contralto actually tenor male and contralto female are going to be identical pretty much and um this is just because they overlap. They have different string physics that makes it. My chords are not long. Women's chords do not really lengthen at puberty. A little bit. A very small amount to give us like an adult sound. But if some women, not at all really. Because all the women you hear in cartoon voices, Bart Simpson, Bobby Hill, you know, all these people are, are female voice actors. Most child-like acting. It's not an actual child. And so some women, their chords don't lengthen very much at all. And they sound pretty childlike into adulthood with a high voice, it depends on the person. And um but even me with my low voice, it actually didn't change that much. My chords didn't lengthen that much. In men, a tenor is going to have long chords, but they'll be a little bit thinner or a little less dense. In women, it's gonna be contralto, they're gonna be very, very dense chords, but at a at a shorter women's length of chords. So tenor and contralto are, are essentially the same b- vocal range, break range and everything, but they do have like different sounds depending on who it's coming out of. But tenor and contralto, we're going to max out around G3. I'm sorry, G2. No. Okay? So that's where we're going to max out about. And so it's usually G2, A2. Sometimes I can hear a tenor get out an F or, like, occasionally an E. So I – but really, like – our vocal ranges can vary by like a whole step or a half step on any given day. I would say a G2 is a very good, like that's as low as you can sing. If you can sing to A2 or G2, we're going to think of you as tenor or contralto, regardless of timbre, okay? And again, your tone could be dark, your tone could be bright, but if you can't sing any lower than that, you're not a baritone, you know, you're going to think of yourself as a tenor because that's where your belt breaks are going to be. It's going to be beholden to the physics. And we notice G2 and A2, that's only a fifth only five notes higher than our bass baritone limit. And if we all have the same amount of octaves in our range, that means a lot of our ranges overlap. They're only a fifth apart. And that makes a huge difference for the belt range though. Our belt range, I mean, our breaks are pretty hard in the belt range, especially on the high end. So it's like, I feel like that fifth matters a lot. But realize you can sing a song by a baritone and be a tenor if it's written. I think a good example would be like Kill Switch Engage, right? And the melodies are all between like C and G above middle C. <laughs> Seek me, call me, you know. Tenor can sing that. Baritone can sing that. It's high for a baritone, but those guys have been baritones mostly who sang it. And it's still well within their doable range. And it's um, women can sing that. Sopranos can sing that. So just realize there are a lot of notes that overlap, you know. And if they're not in the edge of the range, we might not have to change the key. It might be comfortable for a variety of voice types. So that doesn't make you a baritone, a soprano, and a tenor all at once. You're still one of those things. And yes, there'll be songs by other people with other ranges, and if they didn't write it on the edge of their vocal range, you may not have to change the key. And that's great, you know? So just keep that in mind, okay? A lot of these ranges overlap a little bit in the middle, especially in the middle. So then we go up, so tenor and contralto, you could train your voice to belt usually two and a half octaves, so usually C5. (coughs) Or D5. I've trained myself all the way up to the D5, but I would say it's not quite entirely reliable. There's my C5, okay. And I used to actually think that was not possible for someone with a voice like mine to belt that high, okay. Um, but that's pretty much where we're maxing out. You know, after that, that's where you need to again flip into one of the two quote unquote head voice tones that I would present to you, okay? Even in modern singing. And then we're gonna go up, so that's where you could potentially train to. Uh, Guys, you're not gonna get your full upper belt range day one. I can't say that enough. Um, It's taken me years to get there, okay? Just because my chords had the potential, that doesn't mean anything. If I'm not training, you could be seven feet tall, you have the potential to be an NBA player. But if you never train, you will not be an NBA player. You get what I'm saying? So let's go now to countertenor and mezzo-soprano, who would also be the same vocal range. Uh, Countertenors are like Justin Timberlake, The Weeknd, Michael Jackson, Geddy Lee, Robert Plant. I would argue Chester Bennington is countertenor. And people like that with really high, high voices. Typically, uh, Giannis from Beast in Black. That's a really good one. They typically can't sing. I have a, a counter tenor friend, Will Shaw. He's really great. He's amazing. A singer, uh, power metal singer. And I was singing a C3 at a concert in a show. Nah, which is very easy for me, being a contralto. It's not, it's like a fourth or a fifth away from my lowest note. So for me, that's a very easy within the performable range. But he has a countertenor. He was like, I tried to sing along with you, and I, I couldn't sing that note on the bottom. Now, granted, I can't sing anywhere near as high as he can, because again, it's all shifted, right? So uh, this I find countertenors and... Mezzo-sopranos have an identical vocal range as well, and it usually ends around C3 or D3. <laughs> nah, nah. And then they can um, usually belt about uh, two and a half octaves above that. I would say most countertenors actually tend not to belt all the way. Um, they'll tend to actually start flipping into the falsetto sooner just because they t- tend to kind of do that in rock and metal. Uh, Women will tend to belt more all the way up. And mezzos can actually belt all the way to the E5, sometimes the F5. So again, we're looking at about two to two and a half octaves here. Um, I've had a mezzo go up to the F5. Again, why am I calling them a mezzo? Because of how low they can sing, regardless of timbre. It doesn't matter if their timbre were bright or dark. It wouldn't change their potential, like, belt maximum, really. Unless they're one of these, again, unusual people, which are very, very... Very rare. Okay. Most of you who are singing are going to have these very hard belt limits that you train to and that your body maxes out on. And you need to know what they are. And it won't matter if your voice is bright or dark. (laughs) Uh, It's still going to have that hard belt limit on that note. Do you see why I'm kind of throwing out timbre as a qualifier? Because especially in modern music, it doesn't matter. The belt range, you know, doesn't give a crap if you have a dark voice or a bright voice. And that's where you're going to have trouble singing rock music, you know, is belting it. Okay. So then we're going to go to the next voice type, sopranos and just sopranos. We've passed (laughs) countertenors. Regular sopranos, which most women are sopranos, folks. Okay. Uh, Very small percentage is mezzos. And then an even teenier percentage of people like me, contraltos, very rare. So most of you will probably have a high voice, not a low voice. Even if it has a dark timbre, use the range. I can't tell you how many women are like, I have a really low voice. And yeah, their timbre sounds a little dark in their talking voice, but they didn't ever get lessons or realize they could sing higher. And they mistook again the dark timbre of their speaking voice for the pitch of their speaking voice. Their speaking voice is actually much higher pitch than mine, but it has a nice dark tone to it. And then we got to sing it. I show them, oh no, you actually not only are you not even a contralto, you're a soprano, like much higher. Some sopranos can't sing below middle C, and I would say that's like our coloratura soprano, the extremely high voice type. Coloraturas are like our Ariana Grandes, really high voice type that can sing all the whistle tones. So then their three octaves are going to start at middle C. And they may never even sing low enough to ever feel a note resonate in their chest, hence why I hate calling it chest voice. So it's going to be crazy. Now, super high soprano voices um, and regular soprano voices, you're going to max out your belt at around G5. Regular sopranos, you might find that you can sing a little bit below middle C to G3. Right there. Okay super high sopranos, you might not be able to sing below middle C. Very normal. Much soprano classical repertoire doesn't ever go below middle C. And I find that a lot of sopranos can't get to that G unless we're belting. So it's going to end somewhere between this G and this C your low end. And if that's the case, and you can't really get any lower than this G, you're not a mezzo, you're a soprano for sure. Uh, If A is your lowest, you're a soprano. Okay, so we're going to be belting possibly all the way up to g5 and if you're a real high soprano that starts at middle c that's only an octave and a half but part of the reason that is and and even for a regular soprano that's two octaves i was saying that earlier but part of it is is your range starts so high up on the piano like physically you don't even need to belt and it's almost impossible to do on those super high notes but if you go back and listen to Celine Dion, Kelly Clarkson, and Wilson, they all do a belt voice on G5 sometimes. I think a really good example are some of the old live versions of Since You've Been Gone, when Kelly Clarkson does the Anymore at the very end, and it's up on, it's belted on the G5. And it's really hard to hear the difference between a belt and a mix or something at that pitch as well. So um, by the time we're that high, we can use many tones and sound powerful in that part of the range. Um, but yeah it is possible because and you think well, wow, that's insane belting to a g5 sure for someone like me whose range starts on g2 that's not possible at all but for someone whose range starts on g3 that's two octaves so that makes sense and it's because they have a high voice they're not getting the lows of the alto and the highs of the soprano it is transposed and then this is why if you're a contralto like me, you don't want to be trying to belt a bunch of Ann Wilson Heart soprano vocalist or even someone like Maria Brink from in this moment who is a soprano in the original key. You're going to need to dr- drastically lower a song like The Fighter or something if you want to do it in the same tones. You know, if it's an all belted song, you need to change the key. Now if it's not belted even if you're contralto you might be able to do some of it in the same key because when you're not subject to that belt break uh it the the range doesn't matter as much right so for example evanescence would be a good example where i could probably do in my what i call mixed voice what some of you guys might view as one of the two types of head voice that i do how can you see You know, it might not even be the right key where I'm doing it. But the point is, is I can do it, you know, if I'm not belting. But if I have to belt that, that's going to be way too high for me. Um, And as soon as she goes into more of the belty parts of the song, it's kind of difficult for me. And overall, I'm going to probably lower the key of that song to reflect the belt breaks of a lower voice okay so i know that there was a lot to throw on you guys today and that really filled up our hour quickly so if you want to know more about this stuff or you want to figure out your belt range check out my tutorials on youtube or uh hit me up for lessons my full-time job is still teaching people clean modern clean because i figure even though i have classical training and i can classical sing there you go guys uh i don't I mean, there's a million really professional classical teachers out there. You don't need me. Go to see one of them. If you want to learn to belt, though, and learn where your belt breaks are, you know what kind of songs you should be raising and lowering the key of, how to do those kind of things, um, and how to do distorted vocals and all the extreme stuff. You want to hit me up for Zoom lessons. That's the best way. I mean, you guys can try my tutorials, but some of you they work, but some of you they don't. You know, it's not super realistic to train yourself on videos because you don't have feedback from anyone hearing you to let you know what's going on. And so that's why I have a full-time job as a vocal coach on Zoom, okay? So I've had students in over 40 countries and um, you guys can email me at voicehex@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Check out my premium YouTube subscription for more. And that has been sort of my argument for vocal ranges. So realize this, guys, do you see what I'm saying? You're not gonna get hurt if you open your mind to what I'm saying even if what I said changes where your voice type is, but I'm gonna challenge you one further and say, okay, so say someone told you you're a mezzo and I just told you you're a contralto and you're getting all upset. Instead of getting all upset, again, you don't have to listen to me. You could throw it out, just ignore what I said and go back to doing whatever you were doing. I'm not there to police you. It's a free country, free world, really. Uh, you guys can do whatever you want, but I would challenge you to try it. Try my way for a couple of weeks move songs into the key that you want. I had a soprano student that loves typo negative and is doing a bunch of typo negative covers and they were, they were not going good. She couldn't sing them very well. They were sitting funny. And I was like, yo, this is a bass baritone voice and you need to move this key up way up. And then she was like, Oh my God, it's so liberating. I can sing whatever I want. Everything sounds so good. I can finally sing the songs I want and have them sound the way I want. That's why i do this for you guys okay so throw it out feel free to reject anything i said but if you give it a try you might be surprised and i'd love to hear from you guys if it worked for you let me know if it changes anything for you thanks everybody this has been the voice Hacks podcast we're coming back next week with special guest again and you're gonna love who it is he's a member of a long time amazing big band very formally well-educated musician. We're going to surprise you with some stuff. So we'll see you next week for another episode of the Voice Hacks podcast. Thanks, everyone. That wraps up this episode of the Voice Hacks podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show.